0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. Our content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to turn in your scriptures to, we will get to Joshua, but on your way there, if you want to look at Psalm 108, Psalm 108, I'm going to read this again as we preface to get to Joshua 10, Psalm 108. If you're into the reading plan on the orange sheet that we have for these two years, uh, reading through the Bible in a span of two years. Uh, You'll know Psalm 108, I believe, is today's reading. I think it's with Psalm 109, so we're covering one chapter of that. But I want to begin our study here, and then we'll get to Joshua 10. So Psalm 108 first says this, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations. For Your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Seems like we've sung that already this morning, haven't we? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be over all the earth, that Your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by Your right hand and answer me. God has promised in His holiness, with exaltation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. Let me pray. Again, Lord, we come to You. Lord, just echoing what's already been prayed and, and echoing really what's been sung, that all glory and all worship and all honor is due to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we not share any of that desire for worship or that desire for glory, though we know who we have been. Those in Christ, we know who we were. We were slaves to sin and yet You bought us and purchased us and gave us new birth that we might bring glory to Your name and worship You. And so I pray in our time, just in this time, in the book of Joshua again, Lord, spur our hearts to know You as our God again. Encourage our hearts, Lord, those that come into this place discouraged in their fatherhood or motherhood, or whatever age they are, discouraged about who they are, may they come away and say, I have a great God. I have a great and merciful high priest whose name is Jesus. And I will walk by the Spirit in faith. So we pray that you would work that here today. Work by your Word. Lord, we ask for your grace in this. In your name, amen. Amen. I'd like you then to turn, keep going backwards to the left, to the book of Joshua, chapter 10. Uh, As you're going to Joshua 10, providentially, Mother's Day, you might recall, providentially we were on, uh, we considered the attack of Israel on Ai. remember back then we said, well, maybe not such a great passage for Mother's Day, this fighting, this sort of thing. And. Well, God's providence. Guys, we've got a battle again for Father's Day. So awesome. So we've got, we got a big battle going on. There is conflict. There is danger. There's a cry for help. There's an all-nighter. Joshua pulls an all-nighter. There's huge stones from heaven. I mean, this is, isn't this just a making of a Hollywood movie here? Can you see the stones and the men and the march and all these things going on? The sun and the moon stand still in their place. And yet... In all of this, guys, ladies, there's something more spectacular, something more crucial than all that to come away with. And it's this, it's the God. The God who is God of the camp of Israel. A God who ensures the victory. And a God whose word gives hope. And fathers and the rest here, as we examine this account, I want us to come away... Being assured, for those in Christ, if you're in Christ, the assurance that we serve a faithful and merciful God who we can trust in, we can lean on Him despite our failures, our shortcomings, and then we can stand on the promises of God's Word by faith, and then we can walk forward with hope. I want to put up our picture just to give some context of last week. So do we have the picture from last week up here of from Malachi so yeah malachi, yes i had no other pictures so other kids get them to me you can get them in but malachi it's not cuz i didn't malachi i'm glad you for your picture malachi says yeah you have got it up here let them let them live malachi's got that remember that's joshua looking to the people whom they whom israel made that covenant we looked in chapter 9 the covenant with the the gibeonites that came deceptively remember with the moldy bread Said we're from far away. They weren't. Uh, make a covenant. Well, you look like you're from far Okay. They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord, and they made a covenant, and then they had to hold to that because the congregation murmured, and they said, Joshua, no, nope, let them live. We've made a covenant. We need to do this, and yet they're going to be our servants. And So that's the context of where we're at. This week, then, this covenant is going to be put to the test. So it's kind of it is connected to nine. I mean, without nine, ten is not happening. So they're connected. But let's look into this text. I hope you're at Joshua 10 in your own copy of Scripture. Grab one out of the chair. Joshua 10. I'm going to read, uh, we're going to kind of read, comment as we go through this passage today again. So let me start in verse one. We'll look through verse four here. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me, help me, and let us strike Gibeon for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Verse 2 here says that this Adonai Zedek, this king of Jerusalem, feared greatly. And he feared greatly because of what he had heard. a f- Kind of a familiar phrase. And what did he hear? What, what did he hear? He heard Joshua had captured Ai, and it was destroyed along with her king, just like Jericho. I wonder if this king is thinking, I'm up next, I'm in line, I'm a king, they're going to come after me, there's the fear. He also heard that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel. Now, Gibeon here is called a royal city. You saw it called that. Uh, or a, a great city like one of the royal cities. Uh, one commentary describes it perhaps as a as an administrative center of a larger district. And I think we saw that last week. It's, we maybe tend to think of Gibeon as just one city, but I think a center point of other places that were mentioned in chapter 9 that we looked at last week. And not only was it large, it had mighty men, warriors, right? And who are they with now? They're on Israel's side. One other thing about Gibeon is that it was a long and important route. I've got one more map to show. I have zoomed in a little bit this week. Now, guys, you can just leave this up here. So you can leave the lights on and leave it up here and we'll let your eyes adjust so you can see this. Um, here's kind of a map of this whole story. This is all of what's taking place that we're going to read about in chapter 10 where we're at. Here's Gilgal Camp of Israel, and there's Gibeon. There's kind of these, some of these cities around maybe this region of Gibeon. Now, what's important here is this route across that I think perhaps in what I've read some were worried about this. The threat was Israel's march from Gilgal. Remember, they took Ai, Bethel. Now Gibeon's got peace. See, they're kind of working their way westward across here. You might think of this as the I-90 of Israel. We all know I-90 kind of just cuts across Minnesota. You might say, so once Israel has cut across, what happens? The nations divided, right? Now they're divided. There's no flow. They've cut and essentially cut off that southern branch. And I think that was part of the worry. We'll leave that up there and you can kind of as I mentioned names, you can see those up there. And today's battle is really part of that cutting off of things, and so in verse four, then this king of Jerusalem, this Adonai Zadok, now which, by the way, can mean uh, Lord of righteousness. You were familiar with that. We hear that word Adonai, Lord of righteousness, not because he was righteous in God's sight. Perhaps it means maybe maybe another way of saying the God Zadok is Lord. I don't. Maybe it was something like that. Whatever the case, he calls on other kings. And you can see some of them on the map. He calls Hebron, Lachish, Eglon. The call is for help. Come up to me. Help us strike Gibeon. Join with me. And so look at verse 5 and look what they do in verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies See them marching up there and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Now, I could be wrong here, so I hold this loosely, but I think these, these kings mentioned here are some of the same kingdoms mentioned in chapter 9, verse 1. It talks there, remember all the mosquito bites, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, all those ites that we looked at. I think there's some correspondence to the people groups here. One of them was were the Hivites, and I believe that corresponds to the Gibeonites, who are now kind of, kind of ingrained foreigners along with Israel. Okay, so that would leave five kingdoms, and I, and I think here we've got these five coming. And so I think it picks up on these other kings. They've now gathered against Gibeon. And because, I mean, look at what happens. Think of what happened here. Because Gibeon sought peace with Israel, it actually took it out of one conflict, that of Israel, and brought them into another from their former neighbor. So Gibeon, let's be safe. Let's dress up and trickies. Let's go with Israel. So they get there. There's peace, kind of, because they're with Israel, but it brought up a whole new set of conflict in that the rest of the united armies are now against them. Is that not true sometimes of the Christian life as well? Just a little application. Coming to Christ, it's not necessarily a road of flowers and peaceful music, although there are times of that. But it sets one apart from the world or apart from family in some cases. However, and think of Gibeon in this place. However, how much better to be at war and for us thinking spiritually with the God of Israel on your side than to be allied with those former kingdoms. How much better? Well, for Gibeon, they see this encampment and this threat and they send for help, and that's verse 6. And the men of Gibeon uh, sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Adonai Zadak, he had cried out for help to the other kings. And now here, here's Gibeon crying out to Israel, don't abandon your hand from your servants. Remember, they're the the servants. we're, We're cutting wood. We're getting water. Don't abandon us. Where your servants might say, remember that covenant. And I wonder, for Israel, if they thought, oh, that we would have not made that covenant with them. We would have not had to deal with this. Maybe that thought came. But is that thinking clear enough? Think of this. Because of the poorly made covenant Israel that Israel, Joshua made, What are they now forced to do? Because of this covenant, they should have sought counsel. They shouldn't have made that covenant, and they did. Now what? Now they've got to follow through on this covenant and protect these people who now include the Gibeonites. And yet, through this, Israel begins to do what? They begin to make war. They begin to war with these kingdoms of the southern region, of Israel, and we will, we're going to see they're going to take over the land. This is how a sovereign God is leading his people out to war and conquering the land to where they may not have gone on their own. So in this sense, God himself, through the means of people and poor decisions and covenants, guides his people to war and victory. It doesn't seem like our plans would say that's not a quite A to B straight line. Seems like there's better ways. This was God's way. In essence, God is saying, here is where you are to go and here's your battle. Here's your battle. I know you made a bad decision. You may have wrongly made that covenant, but here's your path. Israel may have their own timetable for their battle plans. You know, Maybe on their timetable, we're going to wait a couple of weeks, we're going to recover, I don't know, we're going to stay at Gilgal. I don't know what their plan was. God's plan is this. And God works through. So get this is I think it's part and part. God works through. These decisions and mess ups and mistakes of his people to accomplish his purpose. That's good news. It, it It's not a license to say, well, <laughs> let's go make mistakes. No, don't don't hear that. But God works through those sovereignly. According to his. Purpose. All right, verse 7. So how does Joshua respond? Verse 7, here he goes. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. As a result of this plea from Gibeon, Joshua responds and he goes up, all the people of war, the mighty men of valor, and he would defend to the utmost the people of the covenant. That's what he's going to go do. And so then look at verse 8. This is a great verse in here. Think of the context of a wrong covenant. They didn't seek counsel. And what this would sound like. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Again, imagine hearing these words, having been part of a covenant you should not have made, a poor decision in the past, and yet these words, do not fear them. I've given them into your hands. And the wording here, so there's the command, you know, do not fear. But the wording here of I've given them into your hands has with it the idea that it's already accomplished. It's as if this has already taken place in the past. Joshua, before you ever get and we're familiar now with this book. Before you ever get there, the battle is done. Joshua is to go fight. He's to go out, take the army, go up, you know, sharpen your swords, do the work, but it's, it's already done. I've already given it into your hands. It's accomplished. Because God is in this battle. This is a God who redeems life's crooked paths for his glories, for his glory. What words of comfort this must have been to Joshua and to us. Hear the voice of God after the covenant, after should not have done this, after mistakes to say don't fear. Perhaps if you heard this from God, you too would march all night. And that's what we see Joshua do in verse 9. Look at verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. They pulled an all-night journey to get to Gibeon. I think in chapter 9 it said it took them three days to get there. Remember when they were checking it out? Here it takes them all night. I mean, did they run? Did they hustle? What was that like? I think it's some 20 miles to get there. And they get to Gibeon to defend them And then, when they get there, they need to be ready to fight after having marched all night. I mean, if you've stayed up, some of you recently have stayed up longer all night. You know what that feeling is like. And to think of doing that, and then going, and then the battle actually starts once you're there. But look at how the text describes this battle. Now, verse ten, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. Who's of them? All these, right? The Lord. Threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horan, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. This verse gives us a summary of the battle here, but notice what it's saying. Look at what God is doing for his people. That's what it's pointing out. The Lord threw them into panic. The, he struck them. He pursued. Now, the translation, as you read through it, you know, uh, the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow and chased them by the way and struck them. The translation here can get a little hard. Is this God doing the striking, pursuing, or Israel who's striking and pursuing? The answer, yes. Yes. Israel is the means by which God fights these people. They're not on the sidelines. They're in the thick of the battle. And yet He is behind it all. And Just in case we wondered, look at verse 11. Was God in this? Verse 11, And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran... Now let me just say here, that ascent, you can kind of see. There's my pointer. Uh, here's Lower Beth and Upper Beth Haran. So there's kind of a hill country, foothills and down further. This is on the way down there. Somewhere probably around there is where this is taking place. The Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Wow, we hate to get caught in one small hailstorm. Think of this hailstorm look at the distance. Here's at least, you know, an, an idea of the path of them fleeing away. Here's Makeda all the way down here. Azica, a hailstorm all the way from here down to there. What is that? Some 10 miles, maybe, of hail? More died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed by the sword. And again, these could be hailstones. The Hebrew is actually just simply, your Bible might just say large or great stones from the heavens. Whatever they are, we're not getting into what they are. They're large stones. Here's the point. Though the mighty men of valor had gone up to fight, the victory was the Lord's. This is God's doing. The victory is His. He's on the march. Israel is the means of his march. Well, there's one more aspect to this battle, and I think the the narration goes back again to look at something that Joshua did. So we kind of end at the south, and I I think this is a bit of a kind of a rewind back a little bit uh, to another another thing that occurred that day. So look at verse 12. I'll read uh, 12 through 13 here. At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon." And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Joshua here, in these verses, we see he's speaking to the Lord. Right, Verse 12, He spoke to the Lord in front of Israel, and what he does is he calls the sun to stand still. I think what's going on is this is a prayer of faith of Joshua. Now, there's various ideas here on the sun standing still. I just think... I think we need to take it simply as it stood still in the sky where it was. Joshua spoke to the Lord. He commanded the sun to be still, and it was. I want to share one quote regarding this miracle, of this sun just staying there for them. comes from A.W. Pink, and he begins by quoting from a fellow named Bishop Watson, um, and then he'll s- tell some of his own. L- listen to this in light of this miracle of the sun standing still. And how God did this it says, "The machine of the universe is in the hand of God, And he can stay the motion, stop the. Mo- he can stay the motion of any part or of the whole, with less trouble than any of us can stop a watch. That's our God. Now Pink goes on to say this, and you'll, you'll kind of hear the, the language of the time, but if a human engineer can slow the speed of an express train, by putting on the brake and bring it to a complete standstill by cutting off the steam, what cannot the divine engineer do with any ponderous body which he has himself set in motion? The sun is but an instrument made by God to perform his good pleasure. That's God at work. And as the sun stood still, Israel had time to fight and to secure the victory. As to this book of Jashar that we read about here, it seems to be a book that preserved uh, just according to to one source like nationalistic songs perhaps of Israel. Maybe like our star-spangled banner helps us remember things perhaps. um, I think many see this section as poetry. Maybe in your Bible you have kind of a stanza indented, that sort of thing. It looks like poetry, sort of a poem, this remembrance of this miracle. Then verse 14 really captures the significance of this. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. One Commentary has a helpful way of looking at this. Here's what they say. In firm reliance upon the promise of God, Joshua offered a prayer to the Lord during the battle that he would not let the sun go down till Israel had taken vengeance upon their foes. And the Lord hearkened to the prayer of his servant and the sun hastened not to go down till the defeat of the Amorites was accomplished. I think what... Verses twelve through fourteen demonstrate is Joshua's faith. His faith in, what's his faith in? In the promise of God that the battle had already been won. It's a bold faith to march all night, to take the risk of battle, to trust God that he would honor their aid to Gibeon because of the, the covenant, and then here to speak boldly that the sun might be still. Why? Because the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then verse 15 kind of just ends here, concludes, So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. This return to Gilgal, this phrase here, kind of acts kind of a narrative marker. The the part this part of the story closes. There's more to it, but it kind of closes this part, and we're going to see more next week. Because it's Father's Day, I'm going to speak to the dads, but again, as we do with any of these, there's application for all of us here. Dads specifically, but if you're not a dad, listen in and ask yourself this. How will you respond to the Lord who says these things? Fear not. I am with you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Can you hear the words of verse 8 even as God's words to you? Don't fear. I've given you the victory. And Hear whatever that is, whatever that looks like. But I want to encourage you dads to come to one greater than Joshua for the assurance of victory. We could end here and simply say, well, guys, look what Joshua did. Let's go be like that. Let's go be a Joshua. We could do it, we could maybe end there. But that would miss the one that Joshua and all of Scripture is pointing us to. That is a greater Joshua, a greater Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Jesus is that greater Joshua. And there's a far greater enemy than any Jebusite or Parasite for dads and all of us, and it's the enemy of sin. And yet 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to one final passage, at the, really the back of your Bible close to it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So head to 1 Peter 1, 3. If you're using a Bible from a chair, I did look this up for you. If you're using a black one, it's page 1014. You can, you can beat your neighbor and get there sooner. It's page 1014. If you're using a red one, it's page 180 in the back of the book. I want you to get there and see this. We could go many places, one of many places. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5. 1 Peter 1, three through 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time god is great in mercy He causes us to be born again. He gives us a living hope, not through our own merit, but through Christ, an unfading inheritance kept for you who are being guarded by God's power through faith. Dads, do you have this hope, this eternal hope? And then is this hope spurring you on to pull an all-nighter? Maybe not literally but to do what God has called you to do. To be an instrument, as Joshua was, in the hand of God. And I want to challenge you to be men who know thy God. To be men who know your God. To know His power. His steadfast love. His Son. His glory. And then men who walk forward by faith, sometimes down dangerous roads, Sometimes because we've messed up in the past, and yet God can work that for His ends and His purposes, for His sake. I want to have Dave and Milk come up and help me with something. We're going to pass out to you guys right now, the guys that are here, a book for you. by A practical help for you guys as men. These guys said they would help me pass this out. So if you're a guy out of... High school. This is our most recent one out of high school, Caleb. If you're out of high school, you get a book today. You don't have to be a dad. You guys can pass them out and I'll speak. If you need more, the box is right here. If you're a guy, you get one of these and you, you're out of high school. It's it's a guide to biblical manhood. Now this is the this is the size we want, guys, right? This is good. This is good thickness for you to read something like this. And I hope you do. I hope you can use this. Not as just a um, just a gift to go, wow, that was nice, yep, maybe sometime, but to get into it. Now, along with that, I want to give you another gift. I don't know if you'll see this as a gift right away, but another gift. I want to invite you to join me to go through this. I want to read this with you. You don't have to read it beforehand. We'll just read it together But I want you to join me. Now here's the part you might not like, or you might. I'm going to be in the garage. You know where the garage is out here? It's right out out back. We have a garage. If you've not seen that, there is a garage. In that garage, I'm going to be at that garage at 6 a.m. on a on Wednesday mornings. And I will be reading. If if you don't show up, I'm just going to I'll probably get done sooner. But at 6 a.m., I will be there. And I will the most I can offer is coffee. I will have coffee. And i will probably we'll dust off some chairs. And we're going to read this together. I invite you to join me. 6 a.m. I even helped you remember in here. So, wives, you can encourage, gently encourage. Wow, what a great idea a pastor had today of getting up at 6. You can encourage not in a, aren't you going to get there and learn about, okay, an encouragement to go be part of that. This is not just for dads. This is for any guy. You've, you're out of high school. Challenge for you. You're up at 6 a.m. Come join us. We want to be done by 7, or if you need to get on the road sooner than that, do that. Join me in the garage. This Wednesday, it's kind of coming up. If you can join me, do that and join us for that. A way to help you read through this because I know if you're like me, sometimes we start a book, we look through a little chapter, uh, and then we set it on the shelf. So hopefully we'll, we'll work through that. All right. Well, let me pray for us, and we'll sing closing. Father we thank You that we can even come before a God who would be a help to us. Lord, us who who though born in sin, You redeem by bringing us to faith in Christ. And I pray that each dad, each mom, each child knows Jesus Christ. Having repented and turned from our sins and turned to Jesus. Lord, I pray that's the case of us in this room, that we know the Gospel. And when we know the Gospel, when we know Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the King. And we know You are with us. So may that be true of us in here. And then, Lord, where we walk, where we walk like like You're not going to do anything, or or we doubt Your hand, or we look at our mistakes from the past, things we should have done, poor decisions, and kind of just say, it's all lost. Oh, Father... You are sovereign over all things, and I pray we trust in You. We trust that Your purposes, all of them, are good and right because You are good and right. And with w- You, we shall do valiantly. And may the men here, the fathers, lead their families. Give them that encouragement to open up the Bible with their, with their kids at home, with their wives on their own. Lord, not out of guilt, not out of steps to be a better man, but, Lord, out of a love for you and to pastor their own flock. So, Lord, encourage them today. Thank you for the dads that are here that want to build into their families you and just build them up today, Lord. May they build up, be built up and go forward. We pray and thank you for your grace on our lives, O oh, Lord Jesus. Amen.